Hi people, my name is Giovanni Lombardo Radice the most boring and long name in the cinema industry. Everybody calls me Johnny and I'm here for Geeks of the Industry. Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to witness some scenes from the next attraction to play this. This picture, truly one of the most unusual ever filmed, contains scenes which under no circumstances should be viewed by anyone with a heart condition or anyone who is easily a... We urgently recommend that if you are such a person or the parent of a young or impressionable child now in attendance, that you and the child leave the auditorium for the next... Features, a horror discussion from geeksoftheindustry.com. And now your host, Chunky Larry. Greetings, fellow insomniacs, and welcome to a very special episode of the Creature Features podcast on geeksoftheindustry.com. I'm your host, my name is Chunky Larry, and when I was a young man, I was always warned and kind of threatened about what was told to me was the scariest film of all time by my mother. She regaled the story of going and seeing the film, and um, then, then going to McDonald's and drinking shamrock shakes, and her being completely unable to drink the, the shake after seeing this film. Uh, a little bit later, I was, uh, they, they re-released the film and I was able to then go to the theater with my mom and have that same experience. And it's a, it's a film that, that terrified me and countless other, you know, moviegoers for generations. And I, you know, I, always when I say these, you know, that I never in a million years would imagine being able to speak with anyone from this. Um, it, it, it is, cannot be undersold because it is arguably the penultimate horror film and I get to speak with the monster of that horror film, uh, but she isn't a monster in real life and we're going to figure all of that out through the course of this conversation. She is an actress and a writer and a, a, just a wonderful person in general. And it is my privilege and honor to say, ladies and gentlemen, Miss Eileen Dietz, how you doing? <laughs> That's some intro. I'm not really a writer. I just uh, talked about my book, which we'll talk about later, okay? But someone Absolutely. else wrote it. But otherwise, that was kind of really nice. Thank you. Yeah, well, it, you know, Some it's people my call pleasure. me a monster in real life. 
<laughs> and, Depends uh, on my mood. <laughs> you know, I, I think that everybody's guilty of that at some po- point. You know, uh, doing monstrous things, which is kind of you know, especially you know, you working on Helter Skelter. You know, you you've you've been able to kind of dip into these different worlds of playing different characters. You've you know, throughout the course of your career, been able to be consistently employed within the horror genre. But I know that you started very early on. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the earliest uh, interactions with acting and, and what was the ultimate motivator to get you into uh, performance? Okay. Uh, well, first, let me do a quick little promo for my book. By all means. you brought that up. It's called Exercising My Demons. And the whole first um, part of the book is how this little flat-chested, buck-toothed little kid from Queens, New York, um, became an actress and found herself in the scariest movie of all time. So um, I will talk about that a little bit, but it's really uh, spoken about far more in my book mm-hmm. that was written by an amazing guy named Dan Louvier, uh, mm-hmm. um, who has compiled a book that will make you cry, will make you laugh, and just uh, leave you very satisfied, like a good meal. Because after we do the whole introduction, um, and how I became an actress, and there's funny stories and sad stories, and how I went up to Michigan uh, for my first professional job, and he just wanted to misbehave, as we say in the parlance today. Um, but And that was really sad, but it's funny, too. And then the whole next part of the book is about the exorcist and my audition, how I got the part, first day on the set, and blah, blah, blah. And then the end of the book is what I've been doing now. So, enough of that. If you're interested, please PM me on Facebook. It's uh, just under Eileen Deep. And, um, yeah, that'd be that. Well, uh, to, to kind of go off of the book, uh, you know, the, the process of... Uh, writing the book obviously uh, as you'd said you'd had a writer but you know what was that process like were you you know just kind of telling him stories and then he put it into his own words and then you know you were able to kind of read it as as just like it, it you're able to kind of step outside of yourself and you know look at it rather than it's you know something you said but a different life in general and, you know, that that kind of, you know, distancing from the book to, you know, your words. Uh, Yeah, um, yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, I tried to look at it subjectively Mm -hmm. uh, or objectively um, that almost said it was about someone else um, because there's some very, very painful things in there. And there are some things that I, you know, kind of said, about the exorcist and about Warner Brothers and how they treated me because they wanted everyone to think that Linda did all that work in the film mm. um, because they thought it would be scarier. Um, but they kind of misjudged the whole thing, I think, because they they were and are still upset about not getting any Oscars. And number one, horror films didn't win Oscars at that time. But number two, Hollywood knew what I and Mercedes McCambridge had done in the film. So for them trying to cover it up, 
uh, was very uh, bizarre and made the industry very unhappy. Um, so when I was writing the book, a lot of those feelings came back. And so that was difficult. But some of it was so much fun. And the process was that Dan lives in Connecticut. And, of course, I live in California. So I had to call him every day around 5 o'clock, which is not my favorite time of day. We all have, you know, hours that we function best at. Mm -hmm. And 5 o'clock is kind of like that. I mean, I love dusk, but it's kind of more meditative than not. But anyway, we did it. It took like three quarters of a year to get it done. And there it is. And it's out on the shelves. And it's a great read. Even my nephew said, I read that book in one sitting, Eileen, and I never do that. So it's inspiring and fun and exciting. And, and so, I, I got uh, to imagine certain about, days. It was, like, it, was, it was like reading about someone else. And I gotta imagine certain days, you know, you, you having these conversations over that course of time, you know, some days were better than others, you know, kind of based on whatever it was that you guys were talking about at the time. Would, would you say that that's fair? Oh, sure. Um, absolutely. Sometimes the conversations went on for an hour or more, and sometimes it was 10 or 15 minutes, depending on, you know. But like I said, he's an absolute genius. He took all the stuff that I talked about and uh, put it into this book. And, you know, I, I know that you cover this in the book, uh, you starting out within acting. But was there, was there ever any point where it really felt like this is, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life? Or was it just kind of an experience that you were experiencing that just kind of happened to uh, become what was ultimately your life job? Because starting at the age that you started, you know, I, I know that when I was, you know, very young, I could never have imagined that I would be talking on the internet with people for a living or doing the odds and end weird things that I do for money um, for a living. I, and I always feel weird telling people this, but uh, one of the things I do is uh, I do uh, mascots for birthday parties, so I dress up as cartoon characters for little kids' birthday Aww. parties. That's, that's, how I, that's how I make my money. That's how I'm able to you know feed my children is by uh, dancing around like Elmo for, you know, just a reference. <laughs> so well, that's great. Yeah, I uh, realize there's a horror. There's a horror film in there, right? Uh, yeah, there, there's plenty. <laughs> that Elmo that goes crazy, or the clown that goes crazy, or going to the wrong yeah. party. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. There, there's good. because oh, you, you're you're always it's dealing with strangers, like... and you know, uh, performance uh, is one of the things that I want to talk about because I know that you. You did theater kind of before you had made your way to Hollywood, and you also did commercials and things like that. Um, where did you feel the most comfortable? Was it on the screen or on the stage? Oh, um, I've always felt comfortable where in whatever genre I've been working at. Um, uh, that uh, to me, acting on stage and acting in film is basically the same thing except that every night you don't get a chance for a do-over. You know, there's never a take two. But I think from an actor point of view, it's the same work, it's the same motivation, it's the same 
uh, character development. But I really do love the stage. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that I don't do more stage, but um, uh, a woman is working on a play that she hopes to get done. And as soon as I remember the name of the play, I'll let you know, because uh, she went on GoFundMe for it. Um, so I, I think that's happening. But um, it was a stage play that led to me being cast in The Exorcist. It was called, are you ready for this? It was called Ontological Proof of My Existence, um, which means there is no proof. And it was written by a, a Joyce Carol Oates, who is really famous for writing about uh, fighters. She had this whole thing plus her books. Um, and um, that, that was a great play. It was about a little homeless girl who left Detroit to come to New York to fall in love. She gets off the bus and she meets this guy and she instantly falls in love with him because her home life is so bad. And he turns out to be a pimp. And by then, uh, as the story evolves, she just loses it all. And in order to please him, um, he starts bringing in people for her. And anyway, she has this one scene. She said, I can leave anytime I want. Just look. And you mind opening a door and the door opens and then closes and said, she, see, um, I can leave anytime I want, but it's locked, but it wasn't anyway. So that was the part. <laughs> and, um, some people from an agency in New York came to see it. Um, it was a Fifi Oscar agency, and um, in a day or two, they asked me if I wanted to audition for The Exorcist, and the rest is history. No. So what really bothers me, they have a movement in L.A. Mm -hmm. uh, to get rid of what they call 99-seat theater, because they say actors shouldn't work for no money, but we don't, it's not, you know, you act for other things besides money, hence all the indie films I do um, and and this obviously led to a total change in my life you do a uh, small theater because you need to work you need to get those creative juices going but frankly because you don't know who's going to be in the audience and um, you know it's a life changer and you also Did gotta, that answer your question yeah <laughs> you also gotta you know look at the the fact that when you get onto you know, a, a different playing field in, in the terms of, you know, it's, it's almost like, uh, with, with theater, it's like an internship almost. And there's ways to excel into paying gigs, but I think that there's a certain, um, like, uh, with wrestling, there are people that, you know, are, they, they set up the ring and do this kind of stuff before they ever actually get to wrestle a match. And, you know, it's it's almost as if you have to cut your teeth in order to get to the place where you want to be. So the, the concept of, you know, doing things for free, I feel is kind of a necessary thing. It's a humbling thing, and, it, and it's something that you can draw back on and really appreciate what you're, where you're at and kind of where you're going. Uh, would would you agree with that or disagree? Well, I would agree with everything except that, no, it's not an internship. Because um, in order for someone to hire you, um, you better damn well know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it, I mean, you have to know what you're doing. 
um, or you probably won't get cast. Maybe, you know, if you were doing a line or two or something like that just to see how it's done. But no, I think theater takes um, just as much or more craft than working in film and TV. You know, they always say that about working on a soap opera that um, which I've done a couple of and they say oh it's a learning ground for actors and I take great umbrage of that because soap operas are shot so fast and you know they do um, you know a day in a day uh, sometimes um, you know an episode a day so it's not like film where they do you know a couple takes and uh, something like that. You better know exactly what you're doing on the soap, like I said, because it's so fast-paced. And you'll be out of there if you don't know what you're doing. So I don't know where this rumor came from that, that soap operas are a training ground. When I was on General Hospital for a couple of years, oh, wow, I saw some people who were like kind of day players or just had a small part that just didn't know what they were doing. And it was hellacious. It was embarrassing. It was awful for them. On the other hand, the scariest thing I've ever done is working on a sitcom. Because they change those lines right before um, right before your entrance and there's a live audience out there. So it's like theater personified because when you're shooting, when they're shooting, you really only get one chance, uh, especially if you're not the superstar. And it's embarrassing. It hasn't happened to me, thank God. But I've seen it happen to other people, and it's just embarrassing. They just call you out while you're shooting. So, you know, the whole industry is rife with um, challenges. And uh, sometimes, like riding a, a roller coaster, it gets really scary until you're, like, even when I was doing General Hospital, I swear, every time I walked, there were uh, two flights of stairs to get to the sound stage. And every time I walked up there, I kind of went, oh, my God, I don't know if I can do this. There's 12 million people watching. Oh, my God. And get those butterflies until you started working. And comparing uh, comedy to horror, uh, one of one of the common things that is said, and, and this is absolutely a belief that I have, is that both are, are beasts that rely on timing and rhythm. You know, and if, if you... You know the strength of a horror film. Obviously, the is the story, but in reality, to me, when I'm watching a film, it's it's the editing. It's that game that you're playing with the audience, revealing just enough to kind of lead them on a path. Um, but you know, the the punchline, if you will, or the scare, is what you're working towards, and you want them to you know, organically make their way to that punchline. Um, like, what are, what are your feelings in terms of uh, the difference? Well, I think you're absolutely right, but um, it's... Uh, well, I think you're absolutely right, except that it's not the actor's job mm-hmm. um, to go towards that or anything. Um, it's just the actor's job to create the reality. And the reality of your character is exactly the same, whether it's a comedy or it's a drama. You can't play the comedy and you can't play the drama. All you can do is play the lines. And that's why I think, which is, of course, the script, which is why I think that um, particularly so many indie horror films are so much more successful than the studios kind of woke up and said, oh my God, look at all the money we can make from this. 
conjuring with, you know, shops less than a million dollars and or insidious or, my God, happy death day. So the studios say, we can do that, but they forget about having a script. And that's why things like um, a Winchester that just came out with Helen Mirren um, mm. went down the tubes. Most of the studio, if not all, the studio horror films go down the tubes because they don't have a script which is actually what happened with um, Exorcist, the beginning, and Exorcist, the prologue. Remember those? Yeah. <laughs> um, the reason they were so god-awful, you know, they keep saying it's the curse of the Exorcist, you can't make another Exorcist film. Well, you got to have a script. And in my mind, that's absolutely first and foremost. you got to have a script to work with, which is what made the Exorcist so brilliant. That, and like what you said, the editing, and if you go back and watch that film, so much of it is in the camera work and the editing, the hand on the door or doorknob, not knowing what you're going to see when you open the door, which is what I think scared the bejesus out of parents and kids who saw it, because it was so real and it was so identifiable um, as characters. But you have to have a script first. Mm-hmm. And um, that's why. And you can't play comedy. Like I said, or you, at least according to my teacher, and I believed him, um, that all you can do is play the lines truthfully and, and with the recognition of what's going on, and the rest of it will take care of itself. And how hard is it for you to find the truth of the performance that you're trying to convey in things where it's very makeup heavy and of course you know the obvious most famous uh performance in your career was the exorcist one of the, again i i touted it as one of the greatest horror films ever made um but you also have done things like planet of the apes uh how how do you find the truth of your performance behind the makeup is, is it any different does it does it help or does it hinder no, I, um, it, um, the only way it helps is that you don't have to worry about looking beautiful as you get older. Um, <laughs> um, but again, um, the, the truth of that character lies in every character that's written, whether it's an indie, low-budget film, or whether it's a studio film. Um, the monsters and witches and demons are, um, people don't think they're evil. They're, um, you know, they they think whatever they're doing is righteous and right. And added to that is most of most of those characters really have fun being evil. I'm I'm, I'm shooting a um, a short film now called mm-hmm. Don't Go Down There, and this woman's really. <laughs> <laughs> the character who's going to kill says, why do you kill people? And she said, because it's fun. <laughs> I'm having fun. I stick a knife in them. Uh, and uh, what happens is she sees her husband being killed on the sidewalk. Um, and, and then she turns around with the knife and just plunges it into the person who, is, she says, took away all my happiness. Uh, took away the only happiness I've ever known. And she said, after I plunged in him, I felt such a rush. I was exhilarated. So I killed his family. (laughs) 
and it goes on from there. So I think that's really true, and I think that's the brilliance of um, uh, things like Silence of the Lambs, that Anthony Hopkins, he had so much fun being evil. That character is evil personified, and I think you'll find that. And it, it's kind of like even going back to reality, Adolf Hitler didn't think that he was like the the, the scariest guy alive, you know, um, and the pure personification of evil. I imagine in his head, he thought he was doing a good thing by taking over Europe, and he needed a scapegoat. So anyway, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you don't play evil. You can't play evil. You can't play bad. All you can do again is is play the script. And I always try and find the vulnerability in 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 the character, whether I'm wearing a lot of makeup or not. Uh, now with with Pazuzu and The Exorcist, you know you're doing a lot of the things that weren't necessarily okay for a child to do. Uh, Correct, <laughs> in terms of well, that's the, why the I originally got cast. Yeah, uh, you um, know, but having to having to do these things is there ever like a situation, uh, even on The Exorcist, where there's something that they're asking you to do that you're particularly like, ooh, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that, and you know, nah, no. n- there's never been a, anything that <laughs> no, you've had to do. No, it was a movie, I know. And I, I had to keep, you know, naturally, um, I, I've never been that religious, but I've always been spiritual, very mm. spiritual. Um, that, uh, you know, we create, uh, we create things in our lives that happen. And, um, it, it's still, I go to work and I'd say, hey guys, you know, whatever's out there, this is a movie. <laughs> this is a movie. This is not real. This is a movie. Just, you know, kind of protect myself but um no so there's never been there any kind nothing. of and when internalization when you're on the other excuse me there's never been any kind of internalization in terms of again you find the truth of the character so uh some of that i feel is potentially internalized uh you don't feel that that's the case you're just essentially reading the lines so there's a, an ability to distance yourself from the person. Oh no, it's than... totally the opposite. Okay. No, it's totally the opposite. When you're working, when you're on set, mm-hmm. you totally um, um, uh, immerse yourself in whatever character you're playing, and uh, uh, become that character as an actress. And makeup, um, makeup always, I suppose, helps the experience when when you look in the mirror. But you always, you internalize again the truth of that character. And we can always find, the way I work, um, is you can always find the truth of that character inside you, such as, I've never killed anybody, obviously. Mm-hmm. I've wanted to. Well, I hope. <laughs> um, but, yeah, then some people we know, but I'm not going to talk about her. Yeah. Um, but we have killed the mosquito. Yes. We have killed the fly. So it's that same kind of annoyance and rage and uh, whatnot that just becomes by degree. So you take that same rage that you've internalized with the same anger and you just make it bigger. Um, but there's nothing you can do to make it bigger 
because it's in the script. So you use those feelings and then they become um, an uprage or anger or just because it's fun um, to go kill someone. So you always, in my experience, you take things from your real life that you can identify with and have experienced and then put them into the character. But it's a, it's a total immersion when you're on stage, and then hopefully you leave it alone when you go home. And you know, another is that example. All, have you always been successful with that? In in terms of oh, being yeah. able to um, pull yourself out of that immersion without kind of keeping any kind of yeah. weights that keep you back in that world. I read I read in a book by um, an author named Boltsky, and. Um, it's called six, um, six Lessons in Terms of an Actor, something like that. Um, and one of the things that they say is, and one of the things I always do, is I never go to a set in the wardrobe that I'm going to wear. I always bring it with me because putting on the wardrobe along with the makeup is part of turning into that character. And I never go home in the wardrobe that I was wearing, even if it's wrapped, even if the audience, even if that particular, you know, wardrobe is done, um, I still always, always change. Mm -hmm. And so that's always kind of leaving the character um, on set. And um, yeah, so um, it, it, yeah, it, it doesn't become part of my life. It just becomes fun, like I said, the character I'm playing now. And a film called Don't Go Down. It's just kind of fun. We're going to finish it next weekend. And uh, you're talking about the work that you're doing now. Um, you're, you've been able to work with a lot of young independent filmmakers and get a feel for the, the future of this genre, uh, specifically the horror genre, which, you know, obviously, you know, based on your filmography is kind of where people automatically, you know, gravitate towards when in the casting decision. Um, do you feel pigeonholed by the genre, or do you, are you just happy for the work? Well, yes and no. <laughs> um, I really, um, I am obviously uh, typecast is what I call. Um, uh, I hate. Um, uh, I hate the term scream queen mm -hmm. because it's been taken over by everybody that, you know, all these young actresses that did one line on MTV uh, called scream queens or they do, you know, one line and they suddenly become a scream queen. So I say a horror queen. And I, one of my favorite movies is a movie called Queen of Screams, uh, which are finally looking to getting distributed after like five years. But, um, so yeah, I I do horror. I don't audition um, 95% of the time for horror. Mm -hmm. They just call me up and ask me to do it. Um, my agent suggested. I said, why am I not doing more TV? And my agent, I have an agent and a manager, a manager named Chris Rowe, um, agent named Robert Depp, um, and he said, well, I think it's because you do too much horror and they all, all see this. And the only reason I care about TV is because it pays more mm. <laughs> and it works towards your pension. Um, so I do have, you know, my eyes open for other things that aren't horror. 
And, and that actually kind of leads to my finger quote big closer. And um, it, it is as follows. Uh, with everything that you've been able to accomplish over the course of your career, um, and everything you've been able to say cinematically, theatrically, and, you know, with the book that uh, was written for you, uh, is there anything that you feel, aside from doing more television, that you haven't been able to say, particularly say? You, so, do you get what I'm saying? Where there's there's statements that I feel everybody wants to make in their particular field. I I always want to aspire for more um, in terms of the uh, quality of guests that I have on the show, the quality of the reviews that I do on the show. I, I always want to improve, and you know I have a list of people that or a dream list of interviewees. Um, so I, you know, I constantly, you know, add to my list to never feel complacent. You know, the, the old expression, um, when Alexander, uh, cried because there was nothing left to conquer. Is there, is there anything left for you to conquer? Is there anything oh, left no, that no, you no. want to say? Absolutely. Which leads me into, um, you know, um, first of all, I got to say something really quick. Mm -hmm. For me, there's a huge difference nowadays between horror and thrillers. Horror seems to have evolved into a place where there's um, there's no plot, there's no characters, there's just disembowelment and blood and gore and guts. And thrillers uh, still are films that have a plot, that have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and have character development. And under that theory, all the films in the 70s and 80s that we love and cherish aren't really horror by today's standards. They're much more thrillers, like The Exorcist is a thriller, Texas Chainsaw, Halloween. Um, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. it, it has just evolved. But having said that, um, I still and always do um, look for films that, that have some kind of meaning, that, that, that are really about something. Which leads me to say, and I can't talk much about it right now, but I'd love to be on your show and talk about it more. You're but it's a show called Paper Dragons. Thank you. It's a show called uh, Paper Dragons that we're shooting in Portland. Mm -hmm. And um, it's really about something important, as they say, ripped from the headlines. Um, and it's, it's definitely a thriller that'll have you on the edge of your seat. So I'm really looking forward to that. And so in answer to your question, yes, you're always looking for a film um, and not to say that I, you know, don't love doing films that are just plain fun because mm. the characters are just plain fun. Um, but to look for something that does have some meaning, that does um, speak to something that that's going on in the world today. Exactly. As a matter of fact, there's three reasons why I take a film that I, I like to tell people. Number one, they have a huge shitload of money. Um, except that there is a line in the sand that I won't shoot anything that's abhorrent to me politically mm. or ethically. Um, number two, because it's a role um, that you just have to play. It's a script that you just have to be in, like the film I'm shooting now. And number three, because it's a friend. And, oh, please, please, Eileen, will you do this for us? And, you know, um, uh, a lot of times it's a cameo. Um, and I say, sure. Um, so those three reasons I do a film, and that's what what makes my life, you know, really work. So 
Is there anything that I haven't achieved? Um, not really. I can say that I've really achieved. I, I, in answer to your question way, way, way before, I've wanted to be an actress, if I can remember, ever since I was seven years old. And um, there was a lot of drama in my family that you can read about in my book. And I think that wanting to be an actress would take me out of that and, and put me someplace else, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where I could be loved and cherished and uh, whatnot. So, um, so my first summer stock offer I got, my parents wouldn't let me take the job. When I was a teenager, um, I didn't know what to do, so I took pictures with a little um, camera mm-hmm. and just sent it out to people because I didn't know anything about resumes, you know, or pictures and resumes. So I think since then I've achieved, you know, and everybody said, you can't be an actress, Eileen, you're not pretty enough, you're not sexy enough, you're little, you know. This and I just you know, said, I don't care what you say, I'm going to do this. And I, I think I've basically achieved a, a whole bunch of stuff in my life that, that I wanted to achieve. Which is not to say I don't want to achieve more, but um, yeah, I think I've done a good job. <laughs> I completely agree. And uh, to the seven-year-old girl that wanted to be cherished, I can tell you, as a 37-year-old man, who grew up watching your film, uh, I absolutely cherish you, and I cherish being able to have Uh-oh. this conversation with Okay, you. so let's do a little promo. Um, <laughs> uh, besides my book, I also sell Pazuzu statues and heads and scripts and photographs, photograph, photographs, and if any of your listening audience are interested, just, um, is there a difference between PM me and DM me? They're, they're <laughs> Send me your the private same. message. They're, they're the exact same thing, private or direct. It's it's essentially the same thing. It's it's almost so. like so uh, the tomato tomato thing. That's true. Yeah. So, but anyway, send me a, a message. Uh, send me a chat message if you're interested in in buying anything. Um, look for Paper Dragon, um, and the name of the play. If you do go on Fund Me, Go Fund Me, or something like that, and you happen to hear about it, it's called Ruby's Arms. And um, so that's and if you just want to ask me a, a question, always go to a notification. That's, my email is Eileen at EileenDeets.com. If you're interested, you get one question. <laughs> but if you're really interested in buying a, a signed picture or anything like that, get in touch with me. That's my commercial. And I hate doing it, but I just did it. Uh, no, I was going to ask you uh, to plug things, and y- y- you beat me to the punch, so that's perfect. If you guys are here just for Eileen, but you've enjoyed the conversation, first of all, uh, thank you. Uh, you can find out more about us in a couple of different ways. You can start by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash CreaturePod, by following us on Twitter and Instagram at CreaturePod. Again, Eileen, I want to thank you very much for being giving of your time. Um, I really appreciate it. This was a big deal for me, and I'm Aww. absolutely glad that we were able to have this conversation. Oh, there's a great uh, commercial that was on. I can't even remember what it was, but someone said something, you know, complimentary, and and the person just kind of went, "Oh," <laughs> so I give you a. Aww. Yeah, if we were on a sitcom, the the crowd would be doing the "oh" right now. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Uh, kind of like uh, 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 Dilly Dilly. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the commercial about the beer? Yes. 
It's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> so that on is, that note, I, I'm going to leave you with a... <laughs> you people, come buy my book. <laughs> and enjoy the exercise. How's that? Uh, that was excellent, and that's going to do it for us, because that there's no better way to go out. So, for Eileen Dietz, and for myself, again, my name is Chunky. This has been another episode of the Creature Features Podcast on geeksoftheindustry.com, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. And, as I say goodbye, listen with someone you trust. 